people hear those kinds of black and white rules and they just think how unrealistic. And ultimately, they doubt the value and genuineness of everything in your program. So what can we do? What's a remedy? What's actually missing? So for us or for me, what these statements are missing is the understanding of, I think, the most important thing when it comes to compliance messaging and compliance training. And this is what I really think the DOJ have got right. What do events, news, and culture tell us about how to be more effective at training and communicating? Whether you're in compliance, HR, risk, or general management, effective and ethical leadership requires two things, a consistent, dependable process, and eight specific mindsets that keep you real and salient to your audience. Welcome to the Eight Mindsets Podcast. Hey guys, it's Nicole here, and I'm here by myself because Jason is taking a much-deserved holiday. And in his absence, I've taken the opportunity to discuss a topic very personal to my heart, but I've also spoken to Jason, so it's to both of our hearts. And I want to start with the world event, because each week we always have a world event. And this one, to me, was just rereading the US Department of Justice, DOJ's Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs Guidance, which was updated in June 2020, but I recently had to go through it for a client. Now, this directs prosecutors very specifically when it comes to training and communications in compliance. And I thought this really topical for the topic I want to discuss today, which is about black and white thinking when it comes to compliance messaging. Now, in the guidance, the DOJ states, a hallmark of a well-designed compliance program is appropriately tailored training communications. They also say that whether the company has relayed information in a manner tailored to the audience's size, sophistication, or subject matter expertise is something that prosecutors need to take into account. And they also ask prosecutors to take into account the fact that some companies give employees practical advice or case studies to address real-life scenarios and or guidance on how to obtain ethics advice on a case-by-case basis. Or other companies who are smaller have invested in shorter, more targeted training sessions to enable employees to timely identify and raise issues to the appropriate person. So to put it another way, you can simplify the DOJ's guidance into three main areas. Firstly, training should be learner-centric, i.e. tailored to the audience. Secondly, training should help people to identify issues, i.e. be informative, contain useful and salient scenarios. And thirdly, training should encourage people to raise issues. So the messages need to be believable and supportive so that people know it's okay to come forward. So what's this podcast all about then? Well, look, I could have called this the subtext of poor compliance training messages, but I thought I'd focus on the lack of colour or even the grey in so much of the compliance, ethics and risk messaging I've seen. So look, when Jason and I go into an organisation to design a new training programme, the first thing we ask is for a sample of the existing training. And here's what we usually see. We would see presentations and workshops, and these are usually quite well received within the organization. They've got some great points in them. And secondly, we see the e-learning, which is typically the poor relative, and it's, it's usually the basics or the 101 of a particular topic. 
But what is consistent amongst both training styles is that they typically contain unhelpful black and white statements. For us and for the learners, we're sure this loses much of the point of the training. And in this podcast, I explain why. So this podcast is all about black and white thinking when it comes to compliance messaging and training. Now, a big warning, this podcast may contain ranting and retail unhelpful compliance language, even if from well-meaning people. So if you require support and assistance after listening to this, please go to our website, www.traininghats.com. All right, so let's get into this. Let me start by let me start by proving a point. Well, <laughs> look, at least I pre-framed you. At least I'm honest. But have you ever been to a training session that has some of these statements in it? All right. So, statement: Don't bully or harass. It's unacceptable and a breach of our code of conduct. How about this one? We have a zero tolerance policy. How about this one? Don't put yourself in a position where there might be a conflict of interest. Or, even better, don't discriminate. How about, we treat everyone equally no matter what? Or, you must report wrongdoing. Or how about, don't retaliate against a person for reporting. Or the final, the wrap-up, our company, our code of conduct, mandates that all teammates act in full compliance with all laws and regulations at all times. Okay. So I want to do something a little bit different. I want to think about what you feel when you listen to or read one of these statements. So if you were an employee, do you feel proud about yourself? Do you feel human? Do you feel well-informed? Just going back to the DOJ, you know, they want companies to relay information in a manner tailored to the audience's needs. Do you feel that these are? This Does this meet the audience's needs? Look, for me, it doesn't. <laughs> for me, if I read or listened to these, I would feel worried, a bit anxious. Now, admittedly, I'm a lawyer and I've got this penchant for questioning things. So I'm going to I'm going to do that here. I'm going to take the legal test and I'm going to take the view and this is a legal term, is what a reasonable bystander. So what would a reasonable bystander, in this case an employee, think if they really stopped to assess these statements? What do they what does it mean to them? Now here's what I'd imagine they'd be thinking. The first thing is look, what does this mean for me? They might be thinking, ah, it's about harassment. Well I'd never harass anybody, would I? Uh, what is harassment? Um, I'd be thinking things like, what if I get something wrong? Will I get into trouble? Um, retaliate? What do you mean by retaliate? I'd never retaliate. Or what happens if I don't report a wrongdoing? Is this a wrongdoing? Why do they think I'd discriminate? Um, is this a conflict of interest? Well, what now? Uh, death penalty for reporting, I would never report someone's error or admit to my own. Or, oh yeah, so I shouldn't speed on the highway to get to that sales meeting on time? Right. And just generally, yeah, right. There's a lot of yeah, rights. So in short, I think that what all these have in common is that 
people would be thinking, if I admit to doing any of these things, I'd admitted to have doing something wrong. These are bad things, and there's no room in this organization for me if I do these things. And I also spoke with Jason about these, and he said, and I'm going to give you his words. He said, look, Nicole, people hear those kinds of black and white rules, and they just think, how unrealistic. And ultimately, they doubt the value and genuineness of everything in your program. So what can we do? What's a remedy? What's actually missing? So for us, or for me, what these statements are missing is the understanding of, I think, the most important thing when it comes to compliance messaging and compliance training. And this is what I really think the DOJ have got right when they provide prosecutors with with guidance on what on, on what they think a, a good corporate compliance program is. So I think they need to understand the human condition, and this includes understanding that people may make mistakes. People may do something wrong unintentionally. People ultimately want to do the right thing, but they might not understand what the right thing is. These statements miss that we all have an individual brain, that people process things differently to other people. It misses that an understanding that people may come to the training table with preconceived ideas and may even be triggered by the statement. And it also misses the fact that no one likes to be talked down to or be asked to meet unrealistic expectations. And, you know, not all training has these statements in them. Not all organizations have these statements, but certainly we've seen quite a few of these on our journey. And it's this black and white training and black and white messaging that we think gives all that colorful, decent messaging, all that colorful, decent training, a bad name. Look, I'm going to do something a bit different this week because it's such an important topic and I'm training on a specific issue, black and white thinking, black and white training. So instead of providing the usual three action items of the week, personal learning and compliance, I'm going to put them all together and I'm going to give you my five antidotes um, to black and white training. So what can we do about this black and white messaging, black and white training? Um, Because obviously we're going to have to say certain things in our policies. I'm not saying that we shouldn't say them, but I am saying, look, when we do, we kind of need to mitigate that. We need to be learner-centric in how we describe, explain, train people on it. And I'll share these five antidotes right after this message from Jason. So, Nicole and I believe something, and we believe it deeply and personally. We believe that to be effective in compliance and ethics training, in HR training, and communicating with teams generally, you don't need a whole lot of money, and you certainly don't need to be constantly pursuing and adopting fancy technology. And you're not going to be able to do it completely by outsourcing. If you want to be audience-centric and truly salient, you just have too many constituencies, too many messages, and too many channels to fill uh, to do it all by turning to outsourced providers. You simply are going to have to do it yourself to some extent. But don't be scared. All that requires is a consistent and dependable approach to how you make things and the right entrepreneurial mindsets. And so Nick and I started our initiative, Training Hats, to offer our Entrepreneur Plus program, which is weekly coaching sessions, regular personalized mentoring, access to production workbooks and templates, easy tools and technology, really a whole program to help you learn 
by doing and to help you learn how to do it yourself by doing. Nick and I are convinced that you can make a lot of your organization's training and internal communications yourself and be more cost-effective and more change-effective doing it that way. So we ask you to take control and gain confidence and then speak for yourself. Let us show you how. There are details about our program on the Training Hats website. Great, and welcome back. So here's the five antidotes to, I guess, that black and white training, black and white compliance messages that, for all the reasons that I've talked about, can actually disincentivize employees from doing what we want them to do. All right, guys, so here they are. Number one, number one, consider your audience. So it's not just about what the organization wants to say. Is what will your employees appreciate hearing? What do they want to know? Remember what the DOJ have said, a hallmark of a well-designed compliance program is, I use the words, appropriately tailored training and communications and information relayed in a manner tailored to the audience's size, sophistication, or subject matter expertise. And you want to give employees practical advice. This is actually what the DOJ are saying. Yeah? You want to enable employees to timely identify and raise issues to appropriate compliance, et cetera, et cetera, within the organization. Okay? They are they are learner-centric. They're talking about the employee. So let's do it. Consider your audience. Number two, be positive, be realistic. So what do we mean by this is, look, use statements that appreciate the human condition. Be positive, okay? Explain, look, we understand that these things can happen. So, for example, we understand that people may discriminate or harass somebody entirely unintentionally. I've actually not said that as a negative. I said that as a positive. I've also been realistic. I want you to now be really realistic. And I want to give some examples. So you can give examples of statements that well-intentioned people have said that could have upset somebody. Okay, so you've been positive, you've been realistic, okay? Um, or alternatively, you might want to use that in the context of a bribe, for example. So you might want to say, you may find yourself in an unexpected situation where you may question if you would be accepting a bribe. You're positive. You're not saying that's a bad thing. You're positive. And you're being realistic at the same time. You're being realistic. Because then you could say, look, bribes come in disguise, language, or form. Okay? So I'm realistic about this. So we're positive. We're realistic. Number three, third thing, super important, if you can, <laughs> share your own story or when you may have got it wrong or when you've seen someone else you respect get it wrong. Look, I readily admit that I got compliance completely wrong when I started working it as an in-house lawyer many years ago now. Look, I thought that people should follow the rules or they weren't good for the company. At the time, I was an employment lawyer. I had that very black and white thinking. Um, I didn't allow for the thoughts that the people were having, that that, that my audience, that my learners, that, that the people in the organization that were working there had, which is what well, XYZ is doing it, so it must be okay. I was telling people I wasn't asking. And that leads me to my next point, which is start with a question. So, can, for example, can anyone tell me a time or share a story of when they think they might have seen XYZ in their personal or work life? Now, look, if you are going to do this, a great thing to do is before the training, prepare people. Just give them an example of a story and then ask them to share. 
it works really, really well. I've seen that in practice, hugely beneficial. And finally, this is point number five, and this comes from our, and this comes from Jason, which is Jason's very, very, very clear on this: is train less on what the rule is, and train more on the practical realities of how to follow the rule. So, what do you mean by this? Well, look, what Jason means is, is look, just be real about both the practical, but practical also means what's practically going to happen to a person, person in that time in. Uh, at the time, what are also the emotional implications and interpersonal challenges of acting with compliance? So what would get in the way of somebody reporting or speaking up or, you know, um, declining a bribe on, on, the pop, on, on the spot? What would get in the way and what practical um, assets, what, what practical things can we give the employee at the time? So, Rule number five is train less on what the rule is and train more on the practical realities. All right, so those are the five antidotes. Um, and I hope they were useful to you. I want to finish off with what we always do, which is our compliance anthem of the week. And this week, the compliance anthem is from Christa Berg. Um, he's born Christopher John Davidson in 1948, and he's an Argentinian-born British-Irish singer-songwriter, and he's most famous for the song that I want to talk about, with 1986 love song, The Lady in Red, which reached number one in Belgium, Canada, Ireland, Norway, and the United Kingdom. But why do I want to talk about this song? Because to me, this is a very personal song. It's a story you can't get more learner-centric than this kind of personal story. And the reason that I chose this song is for two reasons. Number one, it's about red. You know, it's, there's no black and white in it. Very, very far away from it. But what I love is it's inspired by the memory of when Chris, uh, Chris Berg first met his wife, Diane. And he realized how so often men can't even remember what their wives were wearing when they first met them. And the idea for the title came to him after he saw her wearing red in a nightclub, which I think is is beautiful. But the other reason I think is relevant to what we're talking about today is because he's telling a story. He's telling one small detail and how it changed his life and how it moved him. And Chris says about his wife, he says, I've never seen you looking so gorgeous as you did tonight. I've never seen you shine so bright. You were amazing. I've never seen so many people want to be there by your side. And when you turned to me and smiled, you took my breath away. I've never had such a feeling, such a feeling of complete and utter love as I do tonight. And if that is not a perfect message about the kind of stories the kind of way that we want to convey to our people that you matter, I care about you, I see you, and I really get you, I understand you, I remember you. And most importantly, I want to tell a story about this. So, look, I have a theory that, you know, you can take any song and apply it to compliance, but I also have another theory that compliance is all about habits, behaviours and emotions, and I think that song sums it up beautifully. So thanks for bearing with me there. Okay, then, just time for us to wrap up. We put a lot of faith in the ideas and leadership of the eight Mindsets cohort. So consider joining by going to www.traininghat.com forward slash eight E-I-G-H-T dash mindsets dash cohort. 
Um, and if you look at the website, there's a heap of materials and resources to support you to produce your own effective training, as well as the opportunity to join our coaching community. So guys, we look forward to seeing you there. And that's a wrap.